Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. David Sinclair is an Australian biologist who is a professor of genetics and co-director of the Paul F. Glenn Center for Biology of Aging Research at Harvard Medical School. He is best known for his work on understanding why we age and how to slow its effects and is widely considered to be one of the world's leading experts on longevity. He's also the best-selling author of one of my favorite books, Lifespan, the revolutionary science of why we age and why we don't have to. It is an honor to have David back on the show today. David, welcome. Hey, Jason. It's great to see you. Great to have you back on the show and was so awesome to see you mentioned in our wellness trends, specifically around longevity and something we're particularly excited about and you're excited about is this idea of democratization. You know, when people tend to think of longevity, they tend to think of really expensive tests and potential, potentially pharmaceuticals and supplements and so on. They think of Silicon Valley and billionaires and all that crazy stuff you read. But let's take a step back and, and talk about democratizing longevity. And I'm curious, you know, what does democratizing longevity mean to you? Yeah, well, you're, you're right that there is a, a group of individuals that uh, I meet more and more often that have the means and the wealth and the connections to extend their lifespan, I think, by 20, 30 years. But it's a small group of people. And what we need to do is to give that, that information to everybody. And that involves not just making it available, but truly being educational and interesting. And so what I've decided to do with my career as this Harvard professor from a lab is to use hopefully decent abilities at storytelling to educate people and make it interesting. I have a podcast coming out uh, early next year, January 5th, where uh, hopefully it's an, an interesting, uh, journey through the longevity world of science and nutrition and, and exercise, but also supplements and some of the more far out things that these billionaires are into. And so it's about education primarily, but the second part of that, that I'm very into and driven by is to make the medicines that will come out of this field of aging research available to everybody. Uh, because if it's just for the rich and it's costs a hundred thousand dollars treatment then that's really not going to help me achieve my goal in life, which is to really make millions, hopefully billions of people live healthier lives and in doing so lengthen their life as well. And so the science that we do and the drug developments, so I've started about a dozen companies now. The companies are very focused on making those drugs uh, cheaply and widely available. And the kind of technologies for the most part are drugs that could be just a, a few cents a day once they eventually uh, get widely used. What do you think was the biggest update that impacted our understanding of longevity in the last year? You're on top of everything. What's been interesting to you over the course of the last year? Yeah. Well, what's actually happened in, in society is super interesting. I used to be uh, the pariah of biology. I'm sure, sure Harvard wanted to kick me out a few times. But there's been a real shift both in the mentality of doctors and researchers and the public that aging is something that is more akin to a, a medical condition, a disease, and that it's treatable. 
So there's this zeitgeist mega trend, if you want to call it, in society that's changed. But in terms of research and breakthroughs, a really big one, and forgive me for focusing on myself for one second, my lab and the research team and our collaborators a year ago exactly to the day almost that we could reset the body in terms of age, go back by about 80% and do a permanent reset of the body. Now this is in animals, but these are mice that are very similar biologically to us. And we've done it now in human cells and human uh, tissue. So we're optimistic that the same principles that I'm going to tell you about in mice apply to humans. And that is that we have a backup copy of youth in our bodies that can be accessed. We're now using gene therapy because that's what we know works. But we're hoping uh, to find natural molecules that will achieve the same result to not just slow down the aging process, which we know we can do by eating well, Mediterranean kind of diet and exercising, lose your breath a few times a week at least, but by actually taking a supplement that would reset the body within a matter of a few months to go back, not just by six months, but many, many years. And I truly believe that's going to be possible in the next five to 10 years. And our goal now is, as a society, is to stay alive until these discoveries become mainstream. And so you, you think we're five or so years out from having that smart drug, if you will, or that we can take and that alone will extend health span. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, right? Fortunately, I'm at Harvard, so people tend to take me a little more seriously, but the big breakthrough was the discovery that we have this backup copy of youthfulness. The easy part is figuring out how to reset the system. It's similar if, if you want to use the analogy of the Wright brothers, I know it's used a little too much, but it, it works. The Wright brothers, the hard part was figuring out how to glide around the dunes, strapping on the engine, flying, eventually transcontinental flight, now global. That's just extensions of what they did in Kitty Hawk. And we basically, in aging, we've done that now. We know how to fly, and now we're going to strap on the engines and see how quickly and how cheaply we can do this. So I'm quite confident that we will find molecules that will do this. In fact, there was a, a paper that just came out that shows a natural molecule called alpha-ketoglutarate that I predicted in my book, Lifespan Probably Would Work, was able to reset the age of 40 people, I think out of 42 people, 40 people had their biological age reversed by an average of eight years within just uh, under a year of taking this supplement. So AKG. Right. And we can take that, that is currently a supplement that's out there or can it be found in food naturally or where can we find it? I think a lot of people are going to be very intrigued. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, like most of these molecules that plants make in response to stress. These molecules are called xenohermetins, that we, we named them that. They are, uh, you need to eat a lot of them, a lot of plants to get the amounts that are medicinal. And so I, it's better to eat a purified source of it. You can buy AKG or alpha-ketoglutarate on the internet. I would look for a trusted supplier, very high quality, high content of alpha-ketoglutarate. There are some companies that are selling it that are combinations with vitamins. In the case of this human study, that's what they sell. But yeah, it's widely available and it would be really quite a thing for humanity to have a safe molecule that's similar to an amino acid that we could just pop. And if it's true, take our years 
our age back by half a decade or a decade. Now I'm quite skeptical because it sounds way too good to be true. Uh, but then again, some things are true. So we're going <laughs> to repeat the experiment and see what happens. But I, I will say that the reason I think it's, it's plausible is that if you give alpha ketoglutarate to yeast cells that make beer and bread to fruit flies and to mice, they also live longer. So there's something really important going on here. Building off of AKG, resveratrol. You've always been a fan of resveratrol in many ways. I feel like you put resveratrol on the map. Are you still a fan of resveratrol in terms of supplementation and in terms of some of the magic it can do in terms of our longevity? Well, I, I am. Since we first made this discovery in 2003, oh, there are something like 5,000 papers showing that it's beneficial to cells, human cells and, and animal studies. And, and even now there's about a dozen positive human studies with resveratrol. Now, the downside of resveratrol is that you cannot get it from red wine. You'd need to drink 200 glasses a day. And that even when you buy it purified, it's, it's insoluble. So if you put a spoonful of resveratrol, which I did take every morning into water, it'll sink to the bottom. So you need to mix it with something. I, I have a low fat yogurt. I recently am doing vegan yogurts, which work well, coconut based, or with a bit of olive oil, which itself is a xenohermitin product, but not too much because I like to fast until about late afternoon or dinner. But then it, it gets absorbed in the body. We know that from human studies as well. And unfortunately, most people don't know that and they just swallow a resveratrol pill with water and they think that'll work and it doesn't. So keep that in mind. Now, in terms of red wine, I did raise the, the sales of red wine by 30% by our discoveries uh, and it stayed up. And I'm known as the red wine guy, but my, my good friend um, and colleague, Serena Poon, who's in nutritionist among other skills and a chef had looked at my diet and said, there's too much dairy, there's too much meat, and there's also too much alcohol. So I'm a kind of binary guy. I, I don't like making decisions. So I just said, okay, I'm cutting it all out and we'll see what happens. And I've done that. I'm currently vegan, uh, no alcohol, and uh, I feel great. I, I think I can con continue doing this. I I'm grateful uh, to Serena actually for making those recommendations, but not everybody can do it. And a little bit of red wine really doesn't hurt unless um, you've got a medical condition. Well, on the subject of diet, you know, if we're going to have to wait five years, we, we've got a lot of work to do between now and then in terms of lifestyle. So in terms of, you know, working on feeling good, working on, you know, our health span for the next five years, because a lot can happen between now and then. What does the latest science say about lifestyle in general, in terms of nutrition, how, and I know it's highly personalized, but if you were to generalize, you know, still plant-based for longevity, still high intensity interval training, still some hot, cold therapy, if I'll just stop there, like what, in terms of lifestyle, what should we be, what should we all be focusing on right now? Yeah. Well, the, the science is really strong on those areas. It's not really up for debate. And I, I say that because some people don't bother changing their lifestyle because they think, oh, next year there's going to be something new, but that's not true when it comes to the, the benefits of plant focused diets, um, and exercise. There's nothing, no science that I could see ever coming along saying the opposite of that. Now, there are a lot of people who are excited about meat-based diets. There are the carnivores, as they call themselves. Well, if you look at the science, and that's what I do, you know, I love meat. I wish meat was going to make me live to 200. That would be my dream. 
But the science says that a plant-focused, plant-based diet is associated with longevity and meat-based diets are not. That's just a fact. And we even know the molecular mechanisms that likely promote longevity. Amino acid ratios in plants turn on the body's defenses against aging and meat amino acid ratios do not. And, you know, there are other issues with meat as well, but those are the main things. And so the the longest lived people are either on a Mediterranean diet, which as you'll, is mostly plant-based. There's a little bit of fish, a little bit of meat, not a lot of olive oil and unsaturated fats and monounsaturated fatty acids, um, as well as a little bit of wine, preferably red wine. That's your Mediterranean diet. That those people live the longest on the planet. There's a variant in Asia called the Okinawan diet, which is also mostly plant-based and not a lot of calories. And then it's the opposite for red meat. It's inflammatory and you'll end up with high levels of cholesterol among other issues. But if you want to build up muscle and you want to temporarily feel great, you know, by all means, all means eat, eat a lot of steak, but I wouldn't do it for a long period of time over your lifespan. It won't have a lot of benefits. And the way to think of this, Jason, is that there are adversity mimetics that mimics that, that mimic adversity and the body hunkers down and builds a stronger, longer lasting body. That's the lifestyle I've chosen. So by eating these plants and by exercising and being a bit hot and be a bit cold, the body thinks, heck, I could die next week. I better build a stronger body. That's what I do. Then there's the abundance mimetics, which is I'm going to take growth hormone. I'm going to eat a ton of meat. I'm going to burn the candle at both ends which will make things brighter for a while, but you'll burn out. But both lifestyles can make you feel great. And I can vouch for that with my lifestyle. And in terms of exercise, what have we learned about high intensity interval training recently? You know, there's lots of debate around, you know, it's five minutes or it's 10 minutes or it's this percentage of your, this is what you need to get your heart rate up on. Like, is there a consensus on high intensity interval training in terms of benefits for longevity? Uh, yeah, uh, some is good. That's what it is. It really is. Don't sit around. So the, the, the worst for you is don't move. Okay. Sit in a chair all day and then go home and, or, or stay at home and watch movies. Okay. That's the baseline. That'll probably take 15 years off your life. The next thing that's good is you, you can have a standing desk. I'm standing here pretty much all day and behind me, you can see gym. So when I have a break, I go do a bit of working out. That's what it says, the next level minimum. A lot of people like walking minimum 7,000 steps, 12,000. Some people do above that doesn't give you benefit, but you asked me about interval training. I, I looked at the science. I think three times a week, losing your breath for at least 10 minutes is a good thing. Above that doesn't hurt unless you're really overdoing it, but it's hard to overdo it. Uh, rowing, watch out for your back. It's good. Cycling even better. But yeah, just move and maintain flexibility, maintain muscle mass as well, because it'll help with your hormones. And if you fall over, you won't break a bone. And what about those who push themselves probably a little too much, who maybe run a little too far, who, you know, look, we have a lot of people in, in our audience who love being well, love feeling great. And they go to the gym every day or they run every day or they do yoga. What, how do you think about the line that's crossed where potentially too much is detrimental for longevity? Yeah, well, so the clients that I work with are often 
for want of a better term, fitness fanatics. And many of them exercise every day. And what we see in response is a, a spike in cortisol. And that will age you. There's no doubt about that. And so to, you can overdo it. You can overstress the body. And so my recommendation or advice is every other day exercise, let your body rest. And that's also true for some of these supplements. I occasionally skip a day and let my body recover. And, you know, that's, I think the recipe for, for success is that just going full bore the whole time is, is not going to be optimal. You do need those rest periods. And then what about hot, cold therapy and, and how you view that right now? Well, COVID makes it a little tough unless you have these in your, in your house, which I, I don't, but I used to do cold plunges. I used to do cycles of four degrees Celsius, which will, you know, almost shivering cold water up to my neck, stay in there for as long as I could bear, which was about five minutes, jump out, go in a sauna for 20 minutes, feels great. And then repeat that a few times. And I, I never felt better after that. You know, it may not make you live longer, but you certainly feel invigorated. But the science is really getting stronger on that. I, w I would say that five years ago, we didn't know, but now we do know that sauna protects you against heart disease. If you do it regularly, I would say at least do it once a week. And cold plunges are increasingly thought to be helpful for a reason that's interesting. What it does is it activates the production of brown fat, which exists mostly in your back. And brown fat is super healthy. It puts out signals that increase your metabolism. And also, again, this adversity signal that your body will defend itself better. And I think we're just going to learn more and more that keeping your body or getting your body out of the comfort zone in temperature wise and oxygen wise and nutrition wise is the trick. So in the spirit of democratization, what does that practice look like in the shower? Can we hack it in the shower with temperature? Well, of course you can. Uh, just don't turn on the hot water and get under there for a few minutes. But for some reason, I can't do that myself. But if you can, I think it'd be great. I instead like to turn it up to almost scalding hot. Hope that's mimicking a sauna. But yeah, it, all of that, I, I totally would do that if, if I could manage it. But I, I just love warm showers in the morning, so it's not for me. So, so do I, that's, that's the one I, I, I pretty much will try and practice everything, but that one I'm having part of it's made me psychosomatic because back in college when I played basketball, you know, I lived and I, I used to hate that, that sitting in that tub after practice, I just don't want to go back there at cold tub. Another one, which is emerging, but you know, so many people are excited about myself included intermittent fasting. What's your take on intermittent fasting these days? And, and what does the science say? So adopting intermittent fasting in my life has been the single biggest change to how I feel and also how I look. And I, I've taken off, I've been getting younger for the past decade and the biggest impact has been this change in my eating uh, habits. And so what the science says, let's leave me aside for a minute. What the science says is that it's not just about what you eat, it's when you eat and the body should not always be fed. So what actually happens in the typical American Western is you eat, you wake up, you have some food for breakfast. Your blood sugar will spike up to about 120, 130 mg per deciliter. You'll feel great, a lot of energy, sugar, and then the body produces insulin and sends the glucose way down. Now you're in a deficit. Now you go way down below like a roller coaster. Now you're 
you're feeling like you need a snack. It's 11 o'clock. How could I be hungry? I just had breakfast. So you start snacking, then you have lunch and you're up again. And then you, you shoot down again in deficit. Now it's the, the middle of the day and you've got uh, low glucose. You're tired. You've got the brain fog. I can't wait till dinner. And then you snack and you eat and you repeat this cycle every day. So I don't eat breakfast. I have a tiny bit of yogurt or olive oil, but that's nothing for fasting. And then I don't eat, if I'm on a good day, uh, I don't eat until seven o'clock at night. Now there are stressful days where I might grab a handful of nuts or something that's healthy and you can't always, you know, be perfect and, I, and I'm not, but most days I try my best to get through the day with hot teas and vitamin drinks and this kind of stuff, just fill up my stomach with liquids. Now, what that's done to me is that now my liver after just three weeks of doing this, and now it's been many months is well close to a year is it's now putting out its own sugar. My liver is way smarter than my mouth and my brain. And I wake up in the morning and you know, you can measure these things. I, I use levels health device, but there's a bunch and I, I can see that my liver is smart. It builds up my blood glucose as I'm waking up, even before I actually wake up. And then it's leveled throughout the whole day, steady like that. A few little blips, so I have a nut or I exercise or something. And then at dinner, it'll go up, but not a lot. And then I sleep through the night. So that's optimal for longevity. We know that, that it's very healthy to have relatively low blood sugar levels and steady ones. So I'm, I'm hugely in favor of intermittent fasting. And I've had a, I've got my 20 year old body back as well. I never thought I could. I had love handles for most of my life and they're gone finally. You mentioned levels and glucose monitoring. It is, how should we be thinking about that in terms of, you know, it, it, you said it's optimal to, to have, I guess, a, a baseline that's relatively consistent. You know, I found the experience fascinating when I did my trial, just to understand which foods had an impact on me and which didn't, you know, for example, I, I love black coffee. I love espresso coffee negligible, it actually lowered my, my glucose slightly. You know, I would have fun. I would do these experiments. I'd say like, all right, I'll have an impossible burger and some fries and a frozen margarita. And then I'll have a donut after this was like at a weekend, you know, weekend I, I eat more liberally. Oh, let's, let's see how high this thing can go. It's like a, you know, I was like a kid, like a teenager in like a sports car. Like, let's see, let's get this on the freeway. Let's see how fast we can go. And sure, I got it pretty high. It was a double spike. It came down. And then, you know, during the week, I'm pretty healthy. I do my thing. You know, what, what did I learn? You know, when I have my, my, my beans, my refried beans, less of an impact when I had a healthy fat, you know, some avocados in there versus just the beans and, and so forth. But I'm curious, like if in terms of longevity, you know, look, life happens, cake happens, donuts happen. And, and, and that's also part of the, the beauty of life, living a long healthy, joyful life is also about celebration every once in a while. So how do you think about the fine line between, all right, I'm going to keep this thing low forever or, or 90% of the time versus, all right, I'm going to enjoy this treat over here and there, and it's going to go up, but it, but it's going to come down. And it's, how do you think about balancing that? Well, that's key. You know, there's no point in me saying you cannot eat during the day, or you can never have dessert or never have wine or beer. That's really not the point. You know, if you live a life like that and you're not enjoying it, life may not be longer, but it'll certainly feel that way. And you don't want that. And, you know, sometimes people see me eat 
a sorbet or, you know, I'll have a lunch, a salad or whatever. And they say, uh, oh, David, you said you don't eat lunch. Well, I never said that. I just said, I try my best not to. And that's what it's all about. And you should be able to indulge yourself, but, you know, try to focus on certain types of diets, Mediterranean, you know, that can include dessert, but I'd like to have some rules in my life because I'm, I'm, I'm not that good at being ambiguous. And so my rule that I set for myself when I was 40 was no more desserts at dinner, but I've modified it. I'm allowed to steal tastes of other people's desserts. And that's worked really well. And I think that's the key to success is don't be too hard on yourself. And if you fail at something or you, you eat something that you probably shouldn't have, don't be hard on yourself. Everybody needs a treat once in a while. And otherwise, life's not worth living anyway. 100% agreed. So, you know, we've talked about nutrition and we've talked about intermittent fasting. We've talked about exercise. I think everyone understands sleep. You need sleep. You can't run on. Is that true? Just to set the, you, you can't run on no sleep. It, well, you, you can, but you'll crash. Plus it's going to accelerate aging as well. The genes that we work on called the sirtuins that control aging, they also control the sleep wake cycle. And so those two things are totally connected. And if you disrupt your biological age, get older, you'll disrupt sleep and sleep will disrupt longevity. So you just got to keep both of those in check in parallel because they're going to affect you. And, and so uh, the last one I'll, I'll touch on anxiety, loneliness, we're experiencing a mental health epidemic. You know, there, there's obviously a big trauma with a big T and then little trauma with a little T and, and, you know, being in this pandemic, you know, there's definitely collective trauma for some, it's the little T for others. It's the big T, but I think it's safe to say it's been difficult for most everyone. And so how do you think about anxiety, stress, mental health in general, and the role it plays in longevity. Yeah. Well, it's really important getting back to the cortisol levels. Um, your brain controls your longevity. We know this, uh, in my lab, we've manipulated mouse brains, uh, to make them turn on longevity genes. And then the whole mouse is healthy. So I mean, we just know that the brain is putting out factors that will either accelerate aging or slow it down. So your mental state's important. It's also important for immunity. A beautiful paper was published last week in one of the world's top journals that showed that if you change a few neurons in the center of the brain, again, in a mouse, but pretty interesting, that you'll change the amount of circulating uh, immune cells in the body. And those immune cells can pick off cancer cells and viruses. And so, you know, I used to I, I believed that the mind could control the body, but now we just have proof that's actually working and which neurons are doing that. So what does this all mean? It means that you should keep your stress levels down. If you can uh, meditate, I now uh, meditate as often as I have time for. Again, uh, Serena Poon has been a good influence on me in that regard. But if you have the, the big stress, the big T, then you do need some help. And increasingly you can go online and speak with a therapist and you know, I've seen some really great results from particularly young people who become anxious. You know, in this day and age with social media, with school and college and the stresses of all of that and COVID-19 on top of it, it's really, it's hard to be a young person without the coping skills that we adults have learned. Agreed. It's tough out there. It really is. And, you know, I'm an optimist. I like to think there's a silver lining here, but we shall see going into 22. So just rounding out lifestyle, we kind of covered everything, but I'll bring it back to food since we all love going grocery shopping. I'll put you on the spot. 
if, if you had to pick, you know, your top five longevity foods that everyone would be better off consuming as frequently as possible, what's on David Sinclair's longevity food grocery list? Oh, food, not supplements. Yeah. Okay. So food, food. I, so as a, as a guide, I try to choose foods that have been grown under stressful conditions. So these would be organic for a start, a locally grown and not in a, just a regular hothouse, uh, with lots of nutrients and water. So if I can go to a local, um, farm, I'll do that. And, but the other way you can do it is you can look for foods that have a lot of color, the purples, the reds, the very deep greens. These are signs that the plants are making healthy molecules for you. These xenohormetans, as I mentioned, so that the top foods would be, if I could only eat one food, it would probably be avocados. The next one I do like very high quality, fresh olive oil, very tasty, you know, with maybe a little bit of bread or gluten-free bread dipped in there, but not a lot. I've tried to avoid carbs like that. So we've got two. The third one would be a roasted Brussels sprouts, pan fried, a bit of garlic and uh, salt and pepper. That's three. But the next would be, um, cantaloupe or rock melon, as I would call it as a fruit, that's the most nutritious you can get. And if I could pick another one in that category, I'd say blueberries as well. I snack on those pretty often. And then the fourth category or fifth category that's important would be the nuts. And so cashews are my favorite, but I also have Brazil nuts for saline and just a whole variety of nuts during the day. So if I'm peckish, I'll take a few. And the protein in the nuts suppresses appetite. I love it. Everyone get out their pencils, go on their Instacart or Amazon prime, or go to their local farmer's market, whoever you go shopping, you got your list. Personally, I, I think you're, I, I, you made me very happy with avocados taking number one spot. Um, I, I'll never forget. There was a moment on the podcast where we had Walter Longo, the famous Walter Longo on the show. This was like two years ago and we were talking about avocados and he said, I'm not sure we don't have the data if, if all this avocado consumption is good for us. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. You just said like, there's no Santa Claus to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very happy to hear avocados. Yes. Well, well, I'm, I'm a good friend and colleague of Falters. We've known each other since we were kids, actually in our twenties. And we like to debate, but where I, I would disagree about that is that we know that avocados have high levels of oleic acid as well, uh, so does uh, olive oil and oleic acid will activate cert one, which is an enzyme that controls longevity in our bodies. And so we know at least some of the components such as oleic acid are extremely beneficial as well as those unsaturated fats that come up. So in closing, there's so much happening in the longevity space. Is there something specific you're just beyond excited about in the movement that you'd like to share? In the movement, um, in the long, this is the movement. This is a longevity movement. I feel like everyone longevity wasn't in the lexicon. I feel like a couple of years ago. And right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. It, it's been really a, a thrill for me to see this movement occur because I was banging my head against a wall for 25 years and no one would listen. My book helped it's sold close to a million copies around the world. So that was good. But what I'm most excited about is the fact that the younger generation has embraced longevity unexpectedly because, you know, stupid me, I thought only old people cared about aging, but no, it's, you know, Gen Y and Gen Z that have realized that humans can achieve anything if they put their minds to it. And 
we now realize, and a lot of young people realize, is that aging begins before birth, and every day is important, and the clock is ticking, and you can slow that down by living well and eating well, and even some supplements that I mentioned. These will slow the process down, and the longer they live, the more technology they can be exposed to. So many people who are born around now in the last 10 years can make it to the 22nd century and imagine what's going to be available then if you know the last five years has totally changed everything and we can now reverse aging. So yeah, I, that's mostly what excites me is that every day I'm contacted by young people in their 20s and 30s who are excited about what we do and want to join the movement and either get involved in social media or medical research and devote their careers to it. And for the record, again, what is your biological age versus your, uh, your, your real age, if you will? Well, I'm 52 and, uh, my biological age is in my low forties, depending on the, the measurement. But when I'm really good, then I can get it down into the well, low thirties. But yeah, right now my blood biochemistry, if, it, if you looked at it, you'd say, and you didn't know me, you'd say I'm in my early forties, you know. I'm still waiting for that gray hair to appear. So, so far, so good. The good news is that what I'm, I've been doing to myself, which is listed also in my book, page 304, if you want to jump to that, doesn't seem to be hurting me, which is a good start. But also as I get older, seems to be benefiting me as well. I got to get on the David Sinclair program. I'm getting up there. I'm 47 now. So, you know, I, I got to do the biological age test. And I, I'm somewhat, I, I did, you know, Look, I believe wellness is a journey and, and it doesn't matter how old you are. It's never too late to start yet. There are times when I, I look back at my twenties and, oh man, I was just a mess. <laughs> right. And, and we did damage to our, uh, bodies in those days. And we, we think we're immortal in, when we're 20, but now that we can measure the biological clock, we can take a blood test. We're developing in my lab, this cheek swab, which will be a lot cheaper than the current tests that can tell us our biological age. And we know that even in your twenties, you're aging your body if you don't look after it. And that goes for things you might not think of when you go to a rock concert and you listen to super loud music, you're aging your ears so that by the time you're our age, you'll have less hearing. So that actually leads me. Okay. I got this. This is the real last question. So is there something that's really under the radar? You know, th that's a great example that is either on, on one hand, it's aging us that we're not aware of, like, like going to a rock concert or on the other hand, the behavior that is promoting longevity that we're unaware of. Like what are we unaware of that is working for us or against us in terms of the longevity? That'll be, I mean it, that's the last question. Yeah. Well, what we have found is that if you break DNA, that accelerates the aging clock dramatically. In my lab, we can drive aging forward in a mouse and make it get old within a few months. But the good news is we can now reprogram them to be young again. So we're driving aging forwards and backwards. But what this tells us is that things that break chromosomes are really potent accelerators of aging. Now, smoking will do that. Going in bright sunlight for hours and burning your skin will do that. We know that from experience. We didn't realize it was aging, but it really is. But there are other things that break DNA. In our lives, there are chemicals from plastics. Even the new car smell is breaking our DNA. When we fly at high altitudes, we're breaking DNA because the cosmic rays hit us. I'm skeptical of these scanners that they're neutral. 
uh, on breaking DNA and getting an X-ray or and a CT scan will break your DNA. Now we need CT scans and, and X-rays for good reason. I wouldn't refuse one from your doctor, but don't get CT scans and X-rays if you don't need them. So I've had big arguments with my dentist. Please don't X-ray my mouth every year. I don't want it. And they say, you got to have it. And I say, why? Because you need to pay for your machine. So I, I try to reduce my exposure to radiation in general for that reason. David, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Jason, it's been great to see you. Thanks.